Hey, thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. If this teaching leaves you with a question about the content or a story of what God is doing in your life, please send a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church because we'd love to hear from you. So how many of you guys have ever wasted time on the internet? Just a quick confession. Okay, we're not going to address that today. I want to give you another way to waste time on the internet this week. So I just want to make sure we have time wasters here. Um, Forget YouTube. Forget Reddit. Uh, Something new I just rediscovered this week. It's called WikiHow. Um, Basically, it is Wikipedia, except articles submitted by users on how to do pretty much anything you can imagine. And I wasted an hour of my family's life uh, this week on uh, WikiHow. But I just want to show you just a few of my favorite articles, just to pique your interest, maybe show you how you could waste your time during this sermon as well. Um, One, one of my favorites was how to annoy people in elevators. Um, The main tip was simply talk to them. Um, so if you're that person, you are, this is, you're fulfilling this already. There's lots of other things like pressing all the buttons, pretending you have an imaginary friend, all high quality ways to annoy people. I know some of you sometimes find yourself in this situation where you, uh, you really need some advice in this area, which is how to survive a freestyle rap battle. Um, I know Caitlin Strez has been there a few times in her life. Just kidding. Um, she has not, but um, again, so if you need advice in that area, that's also helpful. This is the next one is one that I was actually thought about asking our snack team to do, which is how to make ice cream, uh, fruity pebble sort of sandwiches, which look amazing. I feel free to look that recipe up later. My personal favorite, though, um, something that's really piqued my interest lately, is how to buy an alpaca. There's a whole process um, for this if you're interested. There's all kinds of good stuff. But there's also, again, so again, some of you guys are probably going to be deep down in the black hole of Wikihow during this sermon. That's okay. I can't control that. Um, but there was um, one article, again, there's a lot of articles that are, you know, on things like this, but there's a lot of articles as well that are sort of for everyday, ordinary things that are common sense and most people know how to do. And one of those that's relevant to our series this morning is how to wear a towel. So I want to just put this up here this morning for us, um, and I want to just make sure that we all know how to wear a towel this morning. Um, you guys might be surprised by one of these steps. Um, so first of all, just make sure we got this. Okay, hold towel lengthwise behind your back, adjacent. Am I doing this? Are we okay? Okay, wrap the towel around yourself with the right hand. Right hand side overlapping the left, or vice versa, the other way would have been okay. Use both hands to hold the overlapping corner against the overlapped edge. Now, number four is where I think some of us go wrong. Many of you guys are tuckers, where you tuck in that corner. The actual advice is to roll. We're going to be rollers today. So um, some of you guys have been wrapping a towel around yourself wrong your entire life. But today, I am freeing you from that, and now you have the right way. So give me a round of applause, please, for my towel wrapping ability. Um, I'm not going to wear this the whole time. Again, some of you are tuckers, some of you are rollers. We're not going to look down upon you if you're a tucker. Um, I've been a tucker every day, but today was the day that I switched to roller. Um, I have a feeling most of you know how to wear a towel. Um, And today, we're going to start a series, though, called How to Wear a Towel. But in this series, again... If you didn't know how to wear a towel, you do now. But what I want us to begin to consider is a slightly different question. Is do we know how to wear a towel like Jesus wore one? Do we know how to wear a towel like Jesus wore a towel? Because when Jesus wore the towel, he literally changed the direction of human history. When Jesus wore the towel, he showed us what it would be like to actually be the most powerful person in the room. 
When Jesus wore the towel, it so stunned and shocked and disoriented his friends that they didn't know how to respond. And my question for us is, do we know how to wear the towel like that? So if you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you open up to John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. That's where we're going to be hanging out. If you don't have a Bible, or first of all, if you've never opened a Bible before, John is one of the four Gospels, which are accounts about the life of Jesus. They're all next to each other, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you don't have a Bible, if you're sitting in the back, I was sitting in the back last week, I encourage you to download an app called YouVersion, Y-O-U-Version, and you can access the Bible that way. But we're going to be in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. I'm going to read our first two verses. And then we're going to read the rest kind of as we go. It says this in John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being prepared, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that when we open the word of God, you, Jesus, meet us. That this is not just an ancient and dead word, but this is a living and active word. Lord, we know that when we open it, that you meet us through your Holy Spirit and that you meet us no matter where we're coming from. Some of us are skeptics. Some of us are uncertain about our faith. Some of us have walked in here with a whole mess in tow and we're not sure what to do about it. We're just hoping for something different. And some of us have been in church our whole life, but Jesus, the power of your word is that you meet us wherever we're at. So meet us here this morning in the Gospel of John chapter 13 as we open it up and listen for what you have to say. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so a little bit of context. Here's what's happening in John chapter 13. Jesus is sitting down for his final meal with his disciples before, they're about to, before he's about to begin his final journey to crucifixion in Jerusalem. And so he's sitting down for this meal. And in the Gospel of John, this meal is where he teaches them a lot of different things. He has lots of different long monologues and conversations where he talks to them about what does it look like to truly love one another as he has loved them. He talks to them about the suffering that they're about to endure. He talks to them about the Holy Spirit that he's about to send them. This is the meal where Judas gets up and begins his final betrayal of Jesus. And this is also the meal where in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other accounts about Jesus, he introduces something called the Lord's Supper or Communion or Eucharist, depending on what tradition you come from. But in the Gospel of John, John adds something that he does. Something that the other, the other Gospels don't include happening at this meal. And that's what we see happen here in this next portion of John chapter 13. But before we get there, in, John, in this next verse is in John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, which I'll put up on the screen for us. There's what I would, would call an incredible non sequitur. If you've never heard that phrase, non sequitur, what that means is it means you're about to have one something, some fact that doesn't seem to follow another fact. That some sentence doesn't seem to follow the sentence that came before it. They don't seem to logically go together, but somehow they're in the same paragraph. And so let's listen now and see if we can listen for it in John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. It says this, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Do you hear the two things that don't seem to go together here? In that first verse, you see that Jesus has been given all power, that everything has been put under his power or into his hands, which means that Jesus here is the most powerful person in that room. 
And not just the most powerful person in that room, but the most powerful person in the world. And it wasn't just like he got that power and didn't know it. It says he knew what the Father had done. He knew that the Father had put all things under his feet. He knew that he had all the power in the room. And what does he do next? Not what you'd expect somebody with all the power in the room to do. He serves. And so in one paragraph, you see a person with all the power in the room taking the position of the person with the least amount of power in the room. You see the most powerful person in the room taking the position of the least powerful. You see the most powerful person, the one in whom all power has now been invested, get up from the table, take off his outer garment, kneel down, take up a towel, and begin to wash the feet of his students and apprentices, the people who are supposed to be learning from him. He now takes the role of a slave. And you see those two facts in the same paragraph. Power and servanthood. Two things that are normally opposed to one another are brought together in the person of Jesus. And I think it's important that we talk a little bit about power. Power is one of those words that we hear a lot, but it's slippery. We tend to not define it as much as we should. But I want to give us just sort of a simple working definition for power tonight or this morning. That power is the ability to make something happen. Power is the ability to make something happen. There's a lot more we could say about power, but at the very least, it's this. And two things I want to say about power. The first is that everybody has it. There's not in this room some people who have power and others who don't have power. Often there's a way of looking at history that says there's the powerless and the powerful, and all history is driven by that. But in reality, everybody has power. They just have different levels of power and different kinds of power. At the very least, many of you have power over your limbs. Not everybody, but some of us have, many of us have power over our limbs, where you can say that you can think to your limbs and you can have them move. But many of us have other kinds of power as well. There's political power, and somebody with political power can make their will happen, no matter what side of the aisle they're sitting on. Or there's people with um, cultural power who, with a single tweet or a single something that they say or a single thing that they produce, can alter the way an entire culture thinks about something. Or there's people with managerial power, where maybe at work, some of you have this, where you have employees under you who report to you, and you have the power to fire them, to give them a promotion, or ultimately to tell them what to do. Um, speaking of Nick, the intern, you here? You want to give me some coffee real quick? Just, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, that's, not what our, that's not what our intern does. But uh, so first of all, is everybody has power. We have different kinds of it, different levels of it. But the second thing I want to say about power is this, is that every culture displays their power differently. So some cultures hide the fact that they have power. In other cultures, we show it off and we boast it. There's an article by a writer named Andy Crouch where he explains it this way. He says there's high power distance cultures and low power distance cultures. In a high power distance culture, much like the one that Jesus was living in in the first century, it was common to display your power. That if you had power, the thing you wanted to do with it was make sure everybody in this room knew that you had the power. You made them call you a certain thing. You sat at a certain place in the table. You wore a power suit. You do whatever it took to make sure everybody in that room knew that you had the power. And they referred to you and they deferred to you. And you made sure there was some distance between you as the most powerful person and others as people with less power. And so there's that kind of culture. But we live in what's more like a low power distance culture. It hasn't always been that way, but this has been kind of a more recent development where the powerful are encouraged to hide their power where we shame people who put on public displays of power, who boast in their power, who use their power to make other people open doors for them, who use their power to make threats, who use their power to get their way with somebody. Um, And so we tend to look down on that kind of use of power. 
It's why CEOs of the most powerful companies now tend to show up in work instead of, a, instead of a suit, they'll show up in a hoodie. And instead of making people refer to them by Mr. or Mrs. or um, our, our, a series of other names, they have them refer to them by their first name. It's not that we don't have power in that culture. It's just that we, use, we display it a little bit differently. But in Jesus' culture, he was living in that first kind, in a high power distance culture, where if you have lots of power, what you want to do is make sure everybody in the room knows it. You sit in a certain spot, you do certain kinds of things. And if you're in Jesus's case, where you're the person with the most power, not just in the room, but in the world, you might have expected him to do one of two things. You would not have expected him to take up the towel. Rather, you would have expected him to take up the sword or to take up the crown. First of all, you might have expected him to take up the crown. This crown is sponsored by Burger King. This is like the third time they've sponsored crowns in my sermons. Um, But nonetheless, uh, and so you would have expected him to take up the crown. And as the person wearing the crown, he could make everybody serve him. He could make everybody fulfill his will. He could make everybody take all the best that they have to offer and lay it at his feet, all the treasures of the earth, just as Satan tempted him earlier. And eventually we see that he is going to rise to the place of a king, but a different kind of king, a king who wears the towel. But here you might have expected him to wear the crown, to become some kind of political ruler. You know that his followers, or many were expecting him to do this when he got to Jerusalem. In John chapter 6, there's this scene where Jesus feeds thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread. And after that, the people come up to him and they say, this is the kind of king we want. Why don't we try to make him king by force? And they try to force him to be the king. They try to force him to run some kind of political coup and take over the government. But what does Jesus do? He walks away from that because that's not why he's come. You would have expected the person with the most power in the room to pursue a political sort of kingship, but that's not what he does. Or you might have expected him to take up the sword. This was sponsored by Henry Treverson. He has an amazing amount of swords, just in case you're wondering. Um, And so he he brought brought me the sword. But again, what you might have expected Jesus to do is do that. That's what you see Peter thinking Jesus was going to do in John chapter 18. Not many chapters after this, you see Peter in the scene where Jesus is being arrested. And Peter's like, all right, I'm going to kick it into full mode here. He rips out his sword. He cuts off the ear of a guy named Malchus. And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm about. That's not why I'm here. But Peter was expecting Jesus to be that kind of person. That when he has all power, maybe he would take vengeance out on his enemies. Maybe he would get back on all those people who had hurt him. Maybe he would take down Judas, who was about to betray him. You might have expected him again to, wear the, the, to take up the sword or to wear the crown, but never to take up the towel. The lowest position in the house. The societal low, the place where nobody wants to be, is exactly where Jesus found himself. If you're wondering in a second why Peter and his friends are so shocked by what Jesus does here, it's because nobody saw this coming. The first century world was dirty. It was not like we are, you know, our world today necessarily, but it's, you know, you walked on dirt roads that were often doubled as a road for sewage and manure. We're covered in these roads. You're walking through in sandals. Your feet are gross by the end of the day. And so when you walk into somebody's house, the, first, the thing that's going to be waiting for you is not something to wash your hands, but something to wash your feet. Some basin there when you walk in so that you can take care and get all that manure and sewage and those things off your feet so you don't track them into the house. And so there normally would have been that, but if you're living in a rich neighborhood, maybe someplace like Sewickley, there would have been some sort of servant there, usually female, the lowest of all possible cultural and socioeconomic intersections would have been there to sort of clean your feet for you. And this is exactly where Jesus goes. Not just the lowest physical position in the house at the floor, 
but the lowest cultural position available, the role of a servant or a slave, cleaning up someone's feet, something that was very intimate and something that you did not want to associate with in that culture, but that's exactly where Jesus goes. When I think about washing feet, I think of the worst task I was ever assigned at a part-time job. Um, I've worked a lot of different part-time jobs. I was a dishwasher at Luigi's Pizzeria. I'm a big fan still. Um, I was also worked at Old Navy. Anybody else work at Old Navy? Nobody except my sister Kristen. That's it, just me and Kristen. I was the worst. Oh, wait, Matt, did you have a hand up? Okay, just checking. Um, <laughs> I worked at Old Navy, and I worked there, and I worked in the dressing room. I was the worst person you could have ever assigned to be a dressing room attendant. It was back in the day where when you went to Old Navy, you'd have to like write your name on the door. I don't know why we did that, but I, spelled, I butchered people's names. Um, and there was all kinds of things we did there, but we had a slow day one day. Um, obviously, it was not dollar flip-flop day. That is a crazy day. But it was slow day at Old Navy, and I said, what can we do or what can I do to help out today? And she said, well, there's something that hasn't been done in a while. You could clean the mannequins. And I was like, okay, sounds kind of fun. Um, let's do that. And so I walked back to where all the mannequins are, and she says, no, 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 not those ones. Those ones are fine. There's another set of mannequins. And I was like, okay, this is getting weird. Um, one, Old Navy mannequins are the creepiest of all mannequins. They, <laughs> they have facial features. They have hair color. There's lots of things going on with Old Navy mannequins. But I was like, okay, this is fine. And so she said, what I want you to do is I want you to walk to the back, the final stall in the dressing room. And I was like, okay. She said, I want you to open the mirror. I didn't even know this was there, this hidden door. I was like, and I did not discover Narnia, let me tell you what. I opened up this mirror, and it was a slaughter fest. There were, there were limbs, limbs strewn about. There were pregnant mannequins. There were baby mannequins. There were mannequins of every size and color just strewn about, all covered in like an inch of dust. Um, and my, my boss that day handed me a bucket and a sponge and said, go to work. So I started sponge bathing pregnant mannequins in the middle of Old Navy. Um, safe to say that was my last summer at Old Navy. Um, and when I think of this, this is kind of what I think of when I think of foot washing, except it wasn't just a part-time high school employee doing this. It would have been like the CEO of Old Navy walking in there and saying, I want to do that job. That's the kind of person that I am. And that's what Jesus does here. He says, this is the picture of the kind of person that I am. This is a picture of the God that you serve, is the God who serves you. And that's what he does. And he clarifies his purpose in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, when he says it this way. He says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not exactly what you would have expected him to do. He did not come to be served, but to serve. I want to ask you, if you were in that room, or just let's say this room, and you suddenly found out you were given all the power in the world, and you can make whatever you want happen, happen, which of these would you gravitate toward? Would you gravitate toward the sword? Do you have people in your life that have hurt you, that have broken you, people that you've wanted to get back at, people you've wanted to finally get, you know, finally get the last word in with? Would you have taken up the crown and taken the best of what the world has to offer? Would you have taken everybody's gifts for yourself? Would you have made other people bow down and serve you and do your will? Or would you have taken up the towel? Which of these would you have gravitated toward? I doubt for myself that I would have gravitated toward the towel. But when Jesus had all the power, he did the most unlikely thing with it. He got up, he took off his outer garments, he filled up a bowl or a basin, and he knelt down and began to wash the disciples' feet. Instead of leveraging his power to make others serve him as a king, 
are leveraging his power to wreak vengeance on his enemies as a warrior, he got up and he leveraged his power to serve others as a servant. Yes, eventually he would wear the crown, as we see in his resurrection. And yes, eventually he might take up something akin to a sword, as we see in Revelation and his return. But what we see is it's going to be um, mediated by the way that he wears the towel. But it's important to notice here, and this is what we see in this next part of the passage, that what Jesus does here is about far more than clean feet. So if you have your Bibles, let's again keep reading in John chapter 13, verse 6 through 11. I just have part of that up on the screen. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, Not every one of you. Do you remember our friend Peter? He shows up again here. Right, our friend Peter from our series a while back where we did like trees walking, where we walked through the life of Peter, where Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth. If you're wondering where to read yourself into these stories, read yourself into the character of Peter. And this is, we see him in shock and trying to make sense of what Jesus is doing here. And he sees Jesus bowing down to, to wash his feet. And his thoughts must be going crazy here. It's like, this is not what you're supposed to, you're a rabbi, you're our Lord, you're our teacher. This is not what you're, we're supposed to be doing this for you. In fact, not even us, but our servants are supposed to be doing this for us. Who are you to be bowing down. I'm sure Peter was thinking, if my friends or my family saw what Jesus is doing for me, they would see that I'm, just, I'm dishonoring Jesus. I'm disrespecting Jesus. I'm shaming Jesus by allowing him to do such an act for me. But Jesus doesn't care about that because this isn't just about Peter's feet. Jesus is doing something here that's about far more than just having clean feet. And when Jesus replies, he begins to give us some clues that it might be about something else. The first clue is this. He says, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. In other words, he's saying, yes, this doesn't make a lot of sense to you right now. But in just a moment, something's going to happen. Maybe even in the next 24 hours, that's going to help you make sense of what I'm doing. Then you're going to understand. Something is coming that's going to help you make sense of what I'm doing, what I'm picturing right here for you. And Jesus also says this. He says, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Something that would make not much sense if Jesus is just talking about Peter's feet. But it's possible, again, that he's talking about something else. Again, we know what's coming because many of us have read the rest of the story. But in just a moment, Jesus is about to go to the cross, where he's about to die a brutal and shameful death on behalf of humanity. And what's most likely happening here is that what Jesus is doing at the table is a preview of what he's about to do at the cross. That at this table, Jesus is showing them and helping them make sense of what, what is about to happen at the cross. That at this table, yes, Jesus is doing, he's washing their feet, but he's about to go much further than that, which is something Paul helps us understand in Philippians chapter 2, where he takes this song that Christians are probably singing to themselves to help remind them of the gospel, and he shares it with this church in Philippi, and he says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here's a song, he says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He did not take the power that he had and use it for himself, but rather, what did he do? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. What is Jesus doing at this meal? He's taking the form of a servant. 
He says, by, t- by being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What Jesus is doing at the table in the dining room is a preview of what he's about to do on the cross on the hill less than 24 hours later. What he's doing here is a preview of what's coming next, that when Jesus came to earth, he removed his glory. And when he went to the cross, or when he went down to the floor, he removed his outer garments. We see that in the dining room, Jesus bent down all the way to the floor. We see that at the cross, Jesus went all the way to death. We see in the dining room that Jesus washed their feet. But we see at the cross that Jesus went further and he took care of Peter's life. We needed more washed than just our feet. Jesus took it further and he took care of our lives as well. This is why Jesus says to Peter, you can have no part with me unless I wash you. He's not just talking about Peter's feet. He's talking about our lives. He's saying, yes, your feet are messy, but there's something even messier than that. This is where it all starts for us as Christians. Everything starts with this fact, this news, that God has come to you before you were able to come to him. That God has come to you when you could not clean yourself up and he has cleaned you up. That Jesus has stood up from the table. He's taken off his outer garment. He's filled a basin with water. He's taken up a towel. And now he's waiting for you to come to him and let him clean you up. Some of you walked in here this morning carrying a burden of mess, thinking there is no way if anybody knew here, they would kick me out of this church immediately. Some of you have come in carrying secrets that you have told no one because they have brought you so much shame in your life that you were afraid of being found out. Some of you have not had a close relationship in years because you're afraid if somebody gets close, they'll reject you. Some of you have come in here harboring secret sins or harboring things you're even going to do tomorrow, afraid of what God might do if he knew. But when you come in here, you meet a God who comes all the way to you who sees you, who knows you better than you know yourself. And knowing that, knowing what you're going to do, knowing what you have done, kneels down, takes up a towel, and washes you. That's our God. You, many of you have come in here thinking you're going to sit under a God who wants to judge you, a God who is maybe like a parent that you are afraid of. But our God has knelt down to serve you. Our God is a servant king who's come all the way to you to clean up your mess. Some people think the gospel is that you got to clean yourself up before you come to God. The gospel, though, is that God doesn't care what you've done. He comes to you in your mess and cleans you up, and that's where discipleship starts. Our, bapt- our, our life as Christians starts with baptism. On August 19th, we're going to be baptizing people at the pool. I've prayed, or we've had three people that are signed up to be baptized. I'm praying that God has even more for us on that day. But what we do at baptism is we symbolize the fact that Jesus has filled up a basin of water, and he wants to take your mess, and he wants to clean it up so that you can have part with him again. I know some of you are just right there right now. You've never been baptized. This is your chance to come before God, that God has come all the way to you, and he wants to clean up your mess. That's the gospel. Not that you need to wear the towel well enough and that God will somehow ask you at the end of your life, how well did you serve people? And I'm going to let you in on the basis of your answer. The question that God is going to ask you is, did you let me serve you? Did you let Jesus wash you? That's the most important question in our lives. It's not how well do we clean up ourselves, but whether Jesus has cleaned us up. And baptism is where we we show that. It's the place where we bring our dirty, messy, broken, hurting life, and God cleans it up. Not on the basis of what you do, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. Some of you walked in here this morning not knowing what you were going to hear, and that's what you needed to hear this morning. Let the Holy Spirit speak that into your life today and hold on to that word. In a minute, we're going to talk about the example of what does it mean to follow 
Jesus' example. But that's not where it starts. We needed more than an example to follow. We needed a Savior who can clean us up. There are plenty of good examples in the world. Albeit none are perfect. But what we needed more than an example was the Savior. Everything begins, and even all of you can look back to a moment where you walked into the room, and Jesus was standing there with a towel ready to wash you up. That's where it starts, letting Jesus wash you with his word um, and through what he's done. And only then are we ready to follow his example. And I want to say this. Some people, again, think the mess is what disqualifies you from being a Christian. But that's not the case. Messiness is what qualifies you for receiving the good news and the forgiveness of Jesus. And I can tell you right now that the messiest people I've met often become the greatest evangelists for Jesus because they have most deeply experienced the gravity of what it took for a God to come and meet them right where they are. And they have the most urgency to go tell others, here's what Jesus can do for you too. I know that some of you this morning, and I pray that God gives us that kind of holy urgency. But now let's read on in uh, John chapter 13, verse 12 through 16. Um, it says this. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Um, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus is going to the next step. He's saying, once you've been washed, the key now is to tell others both what I have done for you, but also show them through the way that you serve one another. He's saying, now that I've washed you, I want you to do the same for everyone else. He said, if I, your teacher and Lord, aren't above this, you're not above it either as my students and apprentices. One of the phrases that we say all the time around here is that we're a church where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. If you're wondering what everyday life like Jesus looks like, this is what it looks like. It looks like taking up the towel and washing one another's feet. It looks like serving one another. And again, there are some traditions that take this very literally and say, this is what Jesus is saying, keep washing each other's feet, which is fine. If you want to do that, that's okay. I'm not going to stop. But I think what he's really taking us further is saying, live a life where you're wearing the towel. We're always looking for opportunities to serve. And here's how I want to define it for us. We'll come back to this throughout the series, is that wearing the towel is using your God-given power to serve rather than be served. Wearing the towel is using your God-given power to serve rather than be served. It's using your power that God has given you, whatever it looks like, to help others rather than hurt them. It's using your powers to lift others up rather than push them down. It's, living, it's using your powers to someone else's advantage rather than to your own advantage, whether it's in the home or the workplace or the classroom or the church or your neighborhood, wherever it is, or your discipleship community or wherever it is that God has you. Wearing the towel is using your God-given power to serve rather than be served. And so at this point, I want us to revisit how to wear a towel. The beginning of the sermon, I asked, how do, how do you wear a towel like Jesus? Now I want to give us an answer to that question. My own four-step WikiHow article, which I will not be submitting. But number one is to know your power. Number two is to see your opportunity. Number three is to wear your towel. And number four is to surrender your results. The first thing then is to know your power. That servanthood and power are not enemies of one another. That servanthood is not the enemy of power, but power is the entryway into service. That when you know what you're capable of, you're most ready to use that ability for the sake of somebody else. Power, again, and it's not an enemy of these things. It's not a gift. It's a gift to steward. It's not something that we need to avoid. Andy Crouch, in that same article from earlier, says this. He says that power is not the opposite of servanthood. He says, rather, servanthood, 
which means ensuring the flourishing of others rather than just yourself, is the very purpose of power. That is very opposite to how we think about power culturally. But that's what power is for. What if every powerful person you knew saw that as the reason for their power? What if you saw your abilities, everything that God has given you and invested in you as a way to serve others rather than something to use to your own advantage and your own prosperity? So the first thing then is to know your power. And if some of you think, I don't think I have power, I guarantee, A, we have lots more power than we realize. But also in Acts 1.8, Jesus says that if you're a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. And he says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the gifts that the Spirit gives us, what kind, the way that he empowers us for the sake of the church. But we're going to hold that off for a couple more weeks. But if you wonder, do I have power? You do. The second thing then is to see your opportunity. Jesus saw his opportunity that evening, and your life is full of opportunities, but often we don't have eyes to see them. And again, it's about more than just sponge-bathing mannequins. It's more than just washing one another's feet. There's a whole variety of ways that we can wear the towel in everyday life. I just want to give a few examples to give us thinking. At work, wearing the towel might be using the power of your words to talk somebody else up in front of your boss instead of talk yourself up. Um, It might be if you're on an executive team or a board of directors, and I know some of you are, it might be using your power to speak up for employees or customers rather than just to make sure you're securing your own benefits for the next year. Um, In conversation, wearing the towel might look like, you know, um, asking somebody follow-up questions, not just thinking what you're going to say next to trump their story, but to actually let them and keep digging in and showing interest in that person, which I so often fail to do. In the home, wearing the towel might be mean doing responsibilities that aren't normally yours because you know it's a hard week for your spouse. Wearing the towel might be offering to take the kids for a while so your husband or your wife can get some things done. Um, wearing the towel might look like a whole variety of different things. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it could look like in the neighborhood and in the church. Step three, then, is to actually wear the towel. So first, you've got to know your power. Second, you've got to see your opportunity. Third, you've got to wear the towel, um, which means to actually do it. It's one thing to know and to see your opportunity. We miss opportunities all the time. It's another thing to see your opportunity and seize it, to take it. It's another thing to do something about it. Listen to what Jesus says in John 13, verse 17. He says, now that you know these things, you will be, you will be blessed if you do what? If you do them. It says, blessing is not found in knowing what to do, but in doing what you know. Blessing is not found in knowing what to do, but in doing what you know. If you want to know the life of blessing, it's the life of obeying and living everyday life like Jesus. I want to take a brief caveat here that I was going to cut out, but I think it's important to say. Is a lot of times as Americans, we get the wrong idea about blessing. We think of blessing as some kind of kickback we get when we obey. That if I obey well, God will bless me. If I obey well, God will give me this material blessing. He'll give me a car, or he'll he'll take care of me, or my circumstances will be great, or no one in my life will die, or I won't suffer, or feel happy all the time. But blessing is not a kickback you get for obedience. Rather, blessing is the obedience itself. If you're wondering what the blessed life looks like, it looks like obeying God. Blessing means that God's favor is resting on you, even when circumstances are showing everything else. Even when everybody around you says it looks like your life is cursed, you can know that in obedience, your life is actually the life of blessing. If that wasn't true, if blessing was some kind of material thing you got, or your life was supposed to go well because you obeyed, what do we see happen to Jesus in the next 24 hours? He goes to the cross. You want to know what the blessed life looks like? Sometimes it looks like the cross, but it also looks like resurrection, God bringing life from the dead. And so that third thing then is to wear your towel. And the fourth thing, finally, is to surrender your results. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, that meant that, yeah, he was washing Peter and Bartholomew, but that also meant he was washing the feet of Judas. 
the person he also knew was about to betray him. Jesus had all the power in the world. He could have taken up the sword and obliterated him. He knew that in a minute, Judas was going to get up from a bathroom break and come back in the garden with a cohort of Roman soldiers and religious leaders to arrest him and to begin his crucifixion. But what does Jesus do? Again, he could have said to Judas, Judas, I know what you're about to do. You don't deserve this. I know you're going to take advantage of it. You're going to use my kindness and you're going to throw it back in my face. I know that you're not going to appreciate this. I know that you're not going to thank me for it. And so I'm not going to serve you because Peter and Bartholomew, they're going to thank me for this. But you, Judas, I know what you're going to do with this. So I'm not going to serve you. But what does Jesus do instead? He kneels down. He washes him, knowing that he was unclean, just as he has done for us. It's easy as Christians to think, well, I only want to serve people who appreciate it. I only want to give to people who I know that they're not going to spend it on something that I don't want them to spend it on. I'm only going to be kind if I know that they're going to thank me for it. But the reality is that's not our job. We're called to surrender the results. Obedience is our job. Outcomes belong to the Lord. The Lord will decide what he wants to do with them. So again, four things. Know your power. See your opportunity. Wear your towel. Surrender your results. Wearing the towel again is using your God-given power. All of us have that. We're going to help you discover that in the next couple of weeks to serve rather than be served. Over the next three weeks, we're going to keep unpacking this idea of how to wear the towel and what does that look like. Next week, we're going to talk about it. What does it look like in the neighborhood? And we're going to bring in some of our local ministry partners from Urban Impact, his place in the shepherd's door, who are going to be here after the service to talk to you and show you some ways that you can serve there. The next week, we're going to talk about what does it look like to wear the towel in the church. And after the sermon, we're going to have some of our ministry leaders be available to talk to you about what it might look like to serve with them. On August 25th, we're going to have our discipleship on-ramp continues. We have a class in that called Serving in the Power of the Spirit. We encourage you, if you've never done that, this is a great time to do that, to find out how God has empowered you to serve his church and his world. But then on August 26th, on our final series, our final sermon of this series, we're going to do something special. When you came in, you got a card that said this, are you one of the 20? Um, and what I want you to do is I want you to hold on to this, and I want to tell you where it came from is that it started with the missions team. It began to then extend to the staff. But what we started to do is we began to pray that God would raise up some people who could begin to serve who aren't currently serving. And so we began to just say, Lord, what's the number? And the number 20 kept coming to us. And so we're asking God that there would be 20 people in this church who don't currently serve, who would actually step up and commit to serving a year, either in our church or with one of our partner ministries. A year is not as long as often we think, but to commit to serving a year with one of our ministries or local partners. Now, if you're already somebody who's like, but I already wear the towel like three Sundays a month, just pray. That's all I ask, right? Don't just pray just for yourself, but pray for those in our church who currently aren't, who maybe thought that God hasn't gifted them and they don't think they can make a difference. Pray that God would begin to show them through this series how they might. Um, And then if you're not serving yet, but maybe now's the time, this is the time to start serving. That if you're not serving on August 26th, we're going to hand out cards to everybody. Some of you can just check. I'm already serving, but we're also going to have an opportunity for you to check. I want to commit to serving a year with one of the partners I met or with one of the ministry leaders I met. And so I want you to begin to pray, and I want you to hold that with you, whether you're doing this or not, um, to hold this with you and begin to pray over the next couple of weeks. And as we end, I just want to tell just a quick story. I, was, I helped out with VBS the other week. I was part of Team Hulk. Any Team Hulk here? Nobody. No Team Hulk. That's okay. They're probably downstairs. But um, in Team Hulk, what we, we had is me and Chris Steiner and Luke Robertson um, and, uh, and, and Liz Lawton and a few other people were helping out with that group. And I got to know Chris Steiner a little bit. If you don't know Chris Steiner, he's awesome. The kinds of stuff this guy is doing with the kids in our church is incredible. 
He helps out. He teaches on Sundays in 690 building next door. He helps out with jaywalkers, which is our fourth through sixth graders, and the kids think he's awesome. Um, and along with that, he was helping out with VBS that week with me. Even though he had some sick kids, he was coming and he was helping out with that. And I asked him, you know, how did this start for you? And he said, well, I wasn't always doing this. I wasn't always serving like this, but I was sitting in a sermon that Chuck was preaching on service. And I felt in that sermon that I want to be more than a pew warmer. I love that phrase. But he said, I wanted to be more than a pew warmer. I wanted to get up and I wanted to do something with what God has given me. And so he sat down. He had a meeting with Pastor Chuck. They talked for about an hour. And since then, he has been serving in incredible ways in our church. I believe that in the midst of this series, even this sermon, that God might be doing the same for some of you. That God might be saying, I want that to be your story. That I want you to look back on August 2018 as the year that God called you up and into service, into wearing the towel at our church, discovering the God-given power that, you've been, that God has given to you to serve rather than just to be served. Let's pray. Lord, I know that some of those 20 are in here today. And Lord, I pray that you begin to speak to them now and that when we come to August 26th, that they might be ready to commit to serving with our church for a season. Lord, I pray for those who have never been baptized today, that maybe this is the, 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 the August where they look back and say, that's the time I let Jesus clean me up. I let him start the cleaning process in my life so that I could be part with him again. Lord God, I pray for those who are already serving that you might encourage them and that they might begin to join the staff and the missions team in prayer that you would raise people up to serve. Lord, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thanks for listening. If that teaching moved you or left you with questions, let us know by sending a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.